Hello, hello. My name is Dr. Rachel Gainsborough, and I am obsessed with all things short-term rentals, revenue streams, and helping you navigate your career, real estate, and your busiest and most wonderful seasons of life. I'm an immigrant, a pharmacist, a wife, and a mom who took one guest room rental and turned it into a multi-property seven-figure real estate business, which has also landed us on TV. I'll teach you the real secrets and everything you need to build a short-term rental business that you love. I discuss the hard topics, mistakes I've made, and the mistakes others have made so you don't have to make them for yourself. Financing, automations, acquisitions, low occupancy, scaling, and building your team all while balancing your life are all subjects to be discussed here. Consider me that one best friend you can come to with your short-term rental business questions. So grab your coffee, get comfortable as you get ready to learn and grow with me. This is the Luxury Short-Term Rental Doctor podcast. Hi, Ella. Thank you so much for joining us. And this is such an important topic. And I wanted to bring it to all of the current hosts, the new hosts, the aspiring hosts to make sure that they are dialed in with how to protect their property, how to protect their guests and how to protect their neighbors and themselves during the process of hosting Airbnb and short-term rental guests. So Ella, I would love for you to introduce yourself to the people because you are not a person who is foreign. You didn't just decide, you know what? I'm going to decide to create software. You are in the trenches yourself. So everyone we have with us, Ella Mezaborski. Not bad. Not bad. Tell me. Yeah. So it's Mezaborski. The ZH makes a zero sound, but other than that, you got it. Got it. Mezaborski. There you go. I'm, that's a zh, a little zh. Yeah, exactly. I absolutely love that. So Ellen, take it away. Tell us about yourself. All right. Thank you so much for having me. This is exciting. So my name is Ellen Mezaborski and I am the co-founder and CPO at Autohost. So Autohost, in a quick nutshell, it's a, it's a guest screening and automation platform. So we'll, I'm sure we'll dive into that. A little bit more, but what we do is really we we work on identity verification and fraud detection in the space of hospitality. Now we do work with fairly large operators, uh, but we started small. So I actually come from the world of hospitality. So you said that right. I was a property management company. Uh, I managed a little over a hundred units here in Toronto. This is home base, and so many of the growing pains that the, the average operator goes through was really part of our story. So, you know, we started with one, we grew it to three. We learned how marketing fits into things. You know, when do we hire? When do we use technology? So, some of the pain points with growing and scaling, we had to pretty much resolve. And coming from a a tech background and digital marketing background, we recognized very early the fact that with strong tools and automation, we're going to be able to scale better and more consistently than than only hiring. So people are great and you want people in front of your guests, but for many of the operations that are tedious, mundane, repetitive, prone to human error, we really recognize the need for technology. So that's where at the time PMSs came in. I mean, I used to be the one to copy paste Hi, Rachel. Thank you for booking. Here's, you know, we're excited to have you and copy paste every time. And so, you know, auto messages blew my mind and that was changed the face of the industry at the time. We started working with many tools and that really allowed growth and scale. But as we did that, one of the problems that we started running into was really the inconsistency around guest vetting and screening. I will also say that this really took a jump forward when we 
kind of grew to a more professional level and started coming outside of Airbnb. And the reason being that Airbnb has a perceived kind of notion of a little bit more safety than, say, the black box that some other OTAs might be. But the problem with Airbnb is that problematic guests, gray area of, of problems, vandalism, rule compliance, noise, smoking, all of these are really prevalent on Airbnb as well. And so when it came to guest screening, we were at this crossroads of some incidents were happening. Police has been called. You guys know the stories, whether you've experienced them yourselves or heard somebody else go through that. And so, I mean, we got to the level of, you know, a local gang started doing direct bookings with us. And one lovely day, we got a phone call from Toronto Deputy Police telling us that there's a confirmed sighting of a known gang member posting on Instagram with automatic weapons from one of our properties, asking for our permission to raid the place. We gave our permission, um, and that was a turning point because you don't assume that as a small operator, you could be the target of that type of a fraud. Now, fraud can manifest itself with just a chargeback. I mean, so, I mean, somebody stayed, they did a chargeback, I lost a dispute, that sucks. But, but you start realizing that behind a chargeback, there's things going on, right? Behind a chargeback, it's not racial choosing that. I'm not going to pay out of pocket. I'm going to use a stolen credit card because I don't want to pay for it. Somebody who uses a fake identity and a stolen credit card is there for illegal activity. It can be anywhere from escort services or sex trafficking, God forbid, drugs, weapons. I mean, whatever that may be, money laundering in some places in the world. And so you start understanding that other than your business livelihood being at stake, you have a moral responsibility, a legal responsibility, a social responsibility to really know who's inside your unit. I'm going a bit of a convoluted way, but this is really how we reach that. We started introducing better systematic processes around guest screening. So I started with modifying our manual process, a little bit more decision-making, starting to vet guests. What do I, how do I start translating my gut feeling, which we're all using right now, and that's better than nothing, but how do I translate this gut feeling to an actual measurable like process so that if it's not elevating, but I have a team of six agents, how do I make sure that they're consistent with what I would feel? They're not naive to certain things. Their own prejudice and discrimination doesn't play a role in whether they accept somebody. I need it consistent. And so we started bringing in more algorithms. And then when that actually gang fraud hit us, we realized that we need to take it to the next level. So that is where this internal product that we had within my company grew to be something that we realized the industry is mixing. And that's where we partnered with my now partner and CEO of Autohost, Roy Firestein, who comes from the cybersecurity space. So that's what we needed to take all of those validations to the next level. So kind of asking, you know, what's your intention? And, you know, do you promise not to bring any extra guests was no longer sufficient. And we had to go to the next level of let's have ID on file and let's match the ID to their selfie and their credit card needs to match everything. And let's make sure there's funds on it for a security deposit. Let's have them sign agreements, agree to rules, run a background check on them if needed. Let's see if they have social profiles. We have a, a whole fraud and threat analysis system that we can see whether somebody is trying to mask their identity online. So there's different ways when you're when you are online, you might be logging in through VPNs or have different ports open that would mask how it is you're logging in, and therefore you can mask your identity. So we're spotting all of these things, and that's really where I am right now. And that's the, the wrap up of my intro. This is kind of how Autohost was born. We just realized that small and large operators are dealing with all levels of risk and that's putting their business's livelihood as one of the entire SDR industry at risk. And we kind of figured that we're at the right place at the right time and we're the right people to solve that problem. And here we are. Wow. Okay. So Ella, that was amazing. And you touched so many 
wonderful and amazing and scary points as well. So unfortunately, you hot. You're talking about short-term rentals can sometimes be used for fraudulent activity to engage in crimes. And unfortunately, I'm hearing more and more about this sex trafficking thing, which is just really, you know, distressing. You had a gang member who had weapons and, you know, the Toronto deputies wanted to go in and, and just kind of take it down at your property. You have seen it all. We have. And I just I just want to point out that it's so sad because it's such a tiny percent of bad apples. I mean, we're in hospitality. There's no industry that is more beautiful than hospitality. People travel for leisure, for work, with families, with loved ones, whatever that is. We're in such an amazing space. We accommodate guests from all over the world or local, more local ones these days, right? Yeah, we're running businesses and we're making money, but we also get to do something that people really love. And there's so much beauty behind being an amazing host and an amazing operator that these types of instances are just so distressing and it's so unfortunate. And it's almost like we don't want that to give everything a bad name. It's a very small percentage, but but that's really where we kind of figure, you know, when you do your due diligence at first so that then you can switch back and put on the hat of, of the hospitality person. You shouldn't be you know, a gatekeeper or like a bouncer. You shouldn't be mean and aggressive with your guests. You want to provide that amazing experience without having the concern of, is this fake? Am I, you know, dealing with fraud or crime or any just even rule compliance issues? So it, it's really that walking that fine line between let's serve the absolute grand majority of our guests as best we can. And at the same time, let's keep our property safe and make sure that our business is here to stay. Absolutely, Ella. And I love that you you want to walk that fine line because um, for us, we're in luxury short-term rental investing. And so part of that luxury is to have a really ease and a convenient flow of communication. So it is a fine line and it, it is a balancing act. But let me give a little bit of a premise. That's why I wanted Ella to join us. So here's the deal. A lot of us you know, more seasoned operators, we do have kind of a good gut when we're checking and betting our clients or our guests rather. And like you said, Ella, how do you duplicate that gut so that your team understand uh, whether or not they're doing it right when they're vetting guests? So I think it's really important that we can really kind of uh, make some concrete, you know, discussion around what are some red flags that we can talk about that we can even have tips and tricks and pointers to put in place. But the other reason I wanted you to jump on here, Ella, is what I'm finding is that direct bookings are going to be a big deal. I don't know if you agree. So I'm talking about the top five trends for short-term rental investing. And I kid you not, direct booking need to be on the forefront of your mind. And so what is one reason I know a lot of hosts here in our um, group hesitate from direct booking? They do feel the, you know, the security blanket of Airbnb. And I totally get it. But I wanted to make sure to bring Ella on here because she does have an amazing enterprise solution, which is for larger, but she does have something for smaller operators as well. So that is the reason direct bookings are really going to be the forefront of a lot of people's minds for 2022, and it should be. So you want to know that you have the support in place to screen your guests. So wanted to give that premise real quick, but we have some questions. Ella, do you mind if we pause for a couple of questions real quick? Not at all. Let's do it. I love questions. Okay. Awesome. It says someone booked for two, but they brought eight people. <laughs> that's not a question. That's more of a frustrating statement. I'm just frustrated reading. Although, I mean, I'll, I will say that Theoretically, reiterating rules in advance and, you know, making them go through a few extra groups of signing that they agree and providing the names of the guests and clarifying that 
gatherings are not allowed is likely to just de-risk those types of things as well. Can you guarantee they won't lie? No, but it's better than doing nothing. And so even if somebody's planning a type of a gathering, I'm not even talking full automation and a guest screening platform, just things you can do manually. You'll be surprised how much value you get from just reiterating rules to guests and having an honest conversation. I mean, sometimes you can say, you know what? I mean, this just isn't the right place for a gathering. We don't allow it. We do monitor noise. The building is not okay with it. We don't allow any extra guests other than the ones that are registered. So if your intention is to do that, I mean, you're welcome to cancel free of charge. Alternatively, you can say, I'm okay with large groups. Eight people we can accommodate, but I need everybody's names and I need a security deposit on file and need to agree to all these rules and be liable for your stay, helping you de-escalate how bad it can get without giving up the money of the reservation. Awesome. Awesome. Annette, I hope that's helpful with this question. This is a great one. She says, how do you make sure that your client's sensitive information, so I would think guest sensitive information, their personally identifiable information is being stored safely in your system. I know that countries have different laws about dealing with PII data. That's a great one. It is. I love that question. And that's actually where we come in. So if we talk about manual processes that you could implement, you know, without a proper screening tool, then you have the benefit of potentially asking for some personal information, but you risk not storing it safely. Like for example, there's many operators that ask for IDs to be emailed, um, pictures of IDs to be emailed. So on one hand, you feel a sense of security of you have ID on file, but on the other hand, you're very right that that's actually illegal in many states and many countries. So in our case in specific, that's part of the service we provide. So did I mention that the CEO comes from the cybersecurity space? Uh, so we, we don't have, like, there's nothing more secure and more triple validation than double authentication. And so everything is encrypted. So that's also a really big consideration. So you as an operator are not supposed to be crazy tech savvy or a whiz about, you know, PII savings across the board. And PII is personal identifiable information. So what she mentioned. So you're not supposed to be the one that knows how to properly handle that. We come in there. So part of your guarantee and part of your assurance, whether it's for you yourself or for your clients. So when you go and expand your portfolio and you sign on new properties, you get to say, I do my guest screening through AutoVost. They handle that part. So things like we do collect a credit card and we have a security deposit on file, but we mask the data. So, I mean, you wouldn't see the actual card number. I wouldn't either. But the security deposit is there. We get to validate things. ID, selfies, everything is saved on our platform so that you as the operator have secure access to see it and view it if need be. But it's not just out there for anybody to hack into and access. We have things like if you run background checks, you need to get consent from the guests. So all of the things that you're mentioning are actually covered really well. If you're in different places in the world, your ID Europe is actually a lot more strict with their guidelines and requirements. So all of that is monitored through the system automatically. So we recognize where is your property, we recognize where the guest is coming from based on their passport or information. And we'll be able to know exactly what data can be collected from them and how to safely store. Oh, that is super sophisticated. Thank you for explaining that general question. And it has to do with investing. I guess we can both kind of take a stab at that. What advice would you give someone about investing in their first property? <laughs> That's a good one. Do you have any advice, Helen? We can completely leave aside guest screening for that <laughs> purpose. And if we're talking just kind of making the right investment for an STR space, I would really focus on getting some research. First of all, companies like AirDNA will give you a lot of research about locality and expected revenues and other properties in the space. So first of all, just do the research and make sure that there is demand over there and your revenues are likely to be high. 
be aware of seasonality, of tourism, like how successful you're expecting it to be. And, and lastly, I would really focus on regulation. So be it in the city, in the county, or in that specific building or condo, that's a huge thing. The last thing you want to do is invest in a property, put in your time to do a proper design, specified for short-term rentals, beautiful photography, everything is set up to succeed. And then the first time a neighbor complains about noise after 11 p.m., you get shut down because short-term rentals are not allowed. So, and then I'm saying that out of experience, unfortunately. So I guess when it comes to investing, just make sure that you're setting yourself up for success. And then there will be different things. I mean, so that the setup of the unit, right? Like not skimping out an interior design because you do need to stand out near all those other listings. That's true for anybody, even one that is working with somebody else's inventory and not investing. If you're going to invest, then the initial research about location is extremely important. Ooh, that is so good, Ella. So we went on a sidebar, but that was good. And Ella has nailed it. Regulations, 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 and knowing your numbers and knowing your market. Okay, our next question. Does your system collect fees for violations of house rules, such as additional gas, if this does violate with the house rules? Is there any insurance coverage for property damage beyond the security deposit? So that's, I think that's two questions, but Ella, can you take a stab for me? Yeah, absolutely. So it, it is a lot of questions. Let's break it up a little bit. So first of all, in terms of do we cover or, or are able to charge for fees, I will separate the two products. So you did mention that AutoHost, generally speaking, an enterprise level product. We integrate into PMS systems and work with kind of automate process between them. And then once you have your system integrated, we do have a minimum number of properties you need to sign up. But once you're there, you can collect security deposits. And then the answer is yes. So the security deposit is on file for two reasons. It means that you're able to charge against that amount if any damages were to occur. With a big caveat there, you still need to defend your claim. So if somebody scratched the coffee table and you charge their entire $500 security deposit, they're going to dispute it. And unless you have concrete proof that this was malicious and that coffee table costs 500 bucks, you're going to lose that claim. Having said that, if you have, you know, $500 security deposit, but somebody took a knife and slashed the leather sofa, it doesn't mean that your maximum potential uh, thing to recover would be just 500 bucks. The guests signed the usage agreement. They're liable for whatever damages occur. You have their credit card on file. You can go ahead and make an invoice against their card because we're connected to your Stripe and you can charge them there's $3,000 that that leather sofa costs you. So it's really just a matter of we wouldn't be fighting the disputes for you, but AutoHost really provides those objective data points and giving you some assistance in prepping for any such disputes. And by all means, you should be charging for damages. And I will say this is not relevant for Airbnb because Airbnb assumes you will not be charging security deposit outside the platform. We still validate payment um, methods for Airbnb guests because it's important to know the validity of their of their identity. We don't we want to avoid things like legitimate Airbnb profiles being opened, but used by the wrong person. So we still take their credit card um, on file, but for Airbnb specific claims, you should be going through their system as slow or frustrating it might sometimes be. They generally need to stand behind their guarantee. Um, so that was about the security deposit. The other question was about insurance. So we actually are not an insurance company, but we are partnered with Superhog. And so Superhog offer coverage. And the way it works is that if a guest is verified by AutoHost, then you can have a super high account and your reservation will automatically be covered for insurance. Two products that work very well together. We kind of see ourselves as the first line of defense, auto host or any guest screening kind of process is there to mitigate your risk or as super hog or the insurance is really there to transfer your risk, which uh, it's funny, actually, I did a 
talk with Humphrey, the CEO of Superhog earlier today, and that's exactly how he put it, that insurance is not there to reduce your risk. It's there to take the risk away from you. So AutoHost is there to reduce it and mitigate that risk. And then by all means, you should have insurance coverage. Things happen. Not everything is malicious, but you should be covered. Awesome. Thank you for that. So you you spoke about the two different products. And let's dive into that real quick, just to give some clarification and to level. We'll turn back into some of those red flags that we can identify when we're communicating with guests if we do not have a product like AutoHost on board. So right. AutoHost is mainly, again, guys, for enterprise uh, hosts, meaning large portfolios, But Ella, you do have a segment for smaller hosts. Could you tell us what's the minimum properties for the smaller hosts and what's the minimum properties for the enterprise uh, tier of the packages? Absolutely. So let's put the enterprise aside. As a general minimum, we're going to say anywhere between 25 and 50 properties is where it starts. It will depend on the PMS you're connected with. If you're close to that range and you really want to get started with good automation, by all means, reach out to us and we'll be happy to, to see what we can accommodate. But the other option, so it's called AutoHost Starter, and you can reach that by going to starter.autohost.ai. And AutoHost Starter has absolutely no minimums. It's a pay-as-you-go, self-serve platform. And the reason we created that is exactly what you're mentioning, that very small operators, we almost wanted to make sure that our product can be embedded very early on in the process. So we want to establish good procedures and professionalism in the industry, even if it's a small operator. What do you not get? You don't get some of the automation. Your reservations don't automatically flow in. You have to manually enter them. And there's a few other things that might be lacking for starter, but the advantage is that there's no commitments, there's no payment up front, there's no yearly contracts, there's no minimum volumes. You can go into starter, create a reservation. Um, If right now, Rachel books my property, I can go into starter, put in the reservation details. It's Rachel, she's booking 100 King Street, unit 204. She's coming with four guests. I would like to run a background check. I don't need a credit check for this one because she's just there for a week. I want to make sure I have her ID on file and whatever other verification, run a social verification, anything you want to do to make sure that Rachel is a real person, that this isn't a profile that was just created quickly to rent my place anonymously. You create the reservation and what Audible Starter will do is generate a link that we call the guest portal that you will be sending your guests. Rachel can receive a message from you saying, hi, Rachel, thank you so much for booking. We're excited to have you. Please just follow this registration before your stay to confirm everything is kind of on the books and to confirm your reservation. Um, so that is what Auto Starter is. I, I really do passionately encourage everybody to go and try it. The prices, I mean, would start at $3 per reservation. And then depending on which validations you add, you can add some um, add ID, add whatever else you want to do to the reservation. So the prices are not outrageous and they're really there just for you on a case by case. If you have a reservation and you would like to do your due diligence, you go in, you enter that. You get that link, you're guessing completed, and then you're maintaining a record of all of the guests you have there kind of doing your due diligence. So that's what the starter platform is. So with that being said, one of the things that we actually discussed this morning, I was in a clubhouse room for short-term rentals, was the fact that some individuals are hacking and stealing other Airbnb guest identity and booking with that profile. And so what you're talking about, you know, matching the selfie, matching the credit cards. So that's multiple steps that you're taking to make sure that this individual who's booking is actually the individual who's coming to say, I think it's is really, really important. Thankfully, I haven't encountered that, but that is something that I think some people have learned how to <laughs> navigate the system in kind of a exactly. nefarious way. 
So tell us this, Ella, what if I'm a new host? You know, I don't have auto holster. I barely have a pricing dynamic tool onboarded. I'm new, but I'm nervous or I may not have a property and I'm nervous. I don't want someone coming to my property to trash it. What are some red flags that over the years that you yourself and some of your seasoned hosts that you serve in the at the enterprise level, what are some of the red flags that you can detect and start that conversation? So I'll give a couple of mine, which, you know, we're sharing on the clubhouse room today was those one night stays that are from locals, right? One night stays from locals. That's just like a non-starter. That's like a party <laughs> waiting. That party is set up. Everyone's RSVP. Those one night stays are no, no. I don't do one night stays, but when I hear that, it's like cringe. (laughs) So Ella, tell us some of your red flags that you've noticed. So it's interesting. And I love that you said one night stays. So I'll give you two parts to this answer. I'll give you first the answer and then I'll give you a big but. So big red flags that I also started spawning when I was running it. The main culprits, you have your one-nighters, you have your locals, you have a last minute, you have your weekend bookings. And then once you continue outside of Airbnb, you could find that some of the other platforms might be a little bit riskier. So your payment might not be guaranteed, charge bats, things like that. Um, if you're a new operator, these are the things you will be scared of. So, I mean, and, and it's true, to be fair, a local one-nighter on a weekend, last minute is kind of a bunch of red flags to say, okay, they might be up to no good. The, the but that I want to throw in there is they might be up to no good, but they might not be. And therefore, the reason screening is important is because you don't want to leave money on the table. So I'm very hesitant to say, and and by all means, saying one night weekend or one night local, you just don't accept them, that makes sense. And I will say that if you don't do any screening at all, it's better to take the save than story approach. You're very likely to avoid parties if you don't accept one-nighters by locals. However, you're leaving some money on the table. So if my parents live in, you know, in the suburbs of Toronto and they came downtown to the opera and they want to, and they decided last minute they're going to have an extra glass of wine, they want to stay in the city and they're booking a one night stay by a local last minute, by all means, take their money, right? But how are you going to know that this one is legitimate and this one isn't? So that's exactly where, where we're talking. So first step, by all means, follow these flags. But just when you start thinking about your business, your operations, your revenue, that's when you can say, okay, I shouldn't dismiss all locals, but I could be a little bit stricter with the rules. I shouldn't dismiss all one-nighters, but I might charge a higher security deposit. I shouldn't dismiss people that are booking last minute, but I might want to arrange an in-person check-in as opposed to giving them the, the access code to the, you know, to the door. So that's kind of where my caveats lie. There really are red flags. Um, and the other thing I will say is that if red flags are not triggered, it could be legitimate, or it could also be more sophisticated fraud. So now when we're getting into actual criminal activity, they won't book a one-night stay on a weekend by a local. They will book a week or two in advance for a seven-day stay and say that it's a lovely couple coming to a friend to visit their daughter in university. And so your spidey senses are just not going to detect that. So we are getting into next level where, again, more identity verification, just collecting your due diligence. You know, you need to know your guests. You're not just selling them a t-shirt and, and going your separate ways. You're renting out your place. They're getting keys. Something happens behind closed doors. You want to lie, you know, sleep at night knowing that your place isn't safe hands and that, you know, nothing sketchy is going on. And, and the due diligence is really important there. So good. Oh my goodness. I love, love, love that. So 
could you share some of the most known frauds that you've seen from fake guests? We have a lot of stories. <laughs> Here's the thing. When we talk about some of the power of actual so automation and using our platform, and again, it does apply for more enterprise level, but things that we're able to spot that the human eye won't. So we've had a case, for example, where one client, but it was a very large client in the state, so they had properties in multiple cities. Um, we actually were able to detect that two separate, supposedly unrelated reservations were booked for the same, so that for the next day, um, unrelated people, they use the same credit card to pay for the reservation and the guest did access to complete that guest portal and submit all their information was actually located in a completely different state from the same IP. So this was really, as far as I know, a dude in a basement, um, but submitting those types of things. And so the front that was discovered is that even though, so we flagged the reservation the guest didn't answer the phone once you start doing a bit of the due diligence. We flagged it for review. I will also say that Autohost will never decline a reservation on your behalf. We will either say that for all we know, to the best of our professional knowledge and ability, we will verify the guest versus saying something doesn't fit, we flag them for manual review. So in this case, the guest was flagged for review. The host decided not to keep them. And what happened was that three or four days later, that card was reported stolen. So that's another concern. A credit card might go through because it wasn't reported stolen yet, right? And so if you have a name on a credit card and then an ID that isn't being verified, but you can alter the name on that ID and you send it via email and I can do some quick Photoshop and change the name there, you end up showing a, a seemingly clean story, but it's the types of deep levels of fraud that we're unable to detect. Now, can I tell you what would have happened in those units had we not caught it? No, I don't know if this is an escort services. I don't know if it's drugs. I don't know if it's just local gangs looking to not be out of pocket and, and you know, party or whatever that is. But it's things that you want to be able to stop in advance. Um, other things like we mentioned, so Airbnb profiles. So it's very common to see real profiles. But again, local fraudsters are paying off a 19-year-old kid to open a, an Airbnb account with a real ID. So yes, there's an ID on file, but that ID has nothing to do with the person who's renting your place or entering. You have situations of people booking multiple places and then advertising them on Kijiji, right? So that's your Airbnb parties. One, one person or one group kind of collects all of it and then sells it out. So there's a lot of things that we're able to see and then flag just from some objective data points rather than looking at a guest, seeing, you know, what sexual orientation or height or color or do they like pizza or not, things that are not really relevant to whether they should or shouldn't stay. So what we like to do is really collate those objectives at a point, make sure that everything is clean and that the story fits. And that's when you can kind of rest assured that you're you're safe to proceed with the reservation. Wow, Ella. How eye-opening, right? Oh my goodness. So there is a lot. Thank you so much. Next question. Let's do security deposits make sense at all on a one-night stay? What does the market data show for ease of booking or lack thereof for these types of restrictions? So restrictions, I know we don't like to put great restrictions, but sometimes it's good to put some restrictions when we're <laughs> when we're hesitant or when we don't when we want to de-risk. I don't know, Ella. Let me let you take it. I'm 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 weighing in too much already. Go for it. <laughs> so very valid question. I think that we can agree, though, that a security deposit is a much more like valid restriction than saying, I don't take one-night stays. So the question was, does it make sense to take a security deposit on one-night stays? I mean, security, it doesn't matter how long the reservation is. 
the security deposit is in place to protect you in case damage occurs, right? Now, you will have in your terms and conditions what types of damage it covers. It could be innocent. It could be that they came back drunk and lost the fob, and the fob costs you $75 to replace. It could be more serious damage. It could be smoking in the unit that then costs you $250 extra on cleaning fee, and you're able to charge. So having a security deposit on file, I think, is is a good practice overall. And if anything, a person that refuses to book because there's going to be a security deposit is a little bit of a red flag on its own because the average person has no problem putting up a security deposit knowing that they have no intention of damaging the unit. Anything accidental can be handled. I mean, if you break a glass, nobody's going to charge you a hundred bucks. So I think that if anything, security deposit is one of the better ways to mitigate risk rather than putting restrictions of minimum night stays or no locals or things like that. So I would definitely advocate for having a security deposit on file. It adds both to protect you if you really need to charge against it, but it's also a great deterring factor. So if I'm sitting there with five girlfriends, we're less likely to spill a drink on the sofa if I know that I have 500 bucks on the line, right? I'm going to put make my friend put her glass on a coaster or we're going to take off our makeup before going to sleep so that we don't damage the pillowcases. Like it's also simple things that if you have a security deposit on file, you're going to be a better behaved guest. And so I will say absolutely use that tool to your advantage. Ooh, Ella, you are dropping the gems tonight. You are giving me a whole new perspective and you're giving me life because I think I'm going to have to take a look at that. You know, I, I would prefer previous to our conversation, just no one night stays, but you're giving me a whole new perspective. While we wait for questions that can offer an interesting other side of value of screening, and that's true, not just for the enterprise, but just even using auto starter. No matter how many properties you have, as you're going to expand your inventory, whether you're moving from three to 10 or from one to your second one, or you're at 20 and you want to get to 20 to 25, um, we find that clients that end up using all of those end up really standing behind that. So once you start screening your guests and seeing that you're doing the due diligence and you're a professional operator, it's also something great to be using as you're looking to expand your portfolio. Because when you come to either rent a place or master lease or whatever arrangement you have with your inventory providers, it's extremely professional to come in and say, well, this is what my operations look like. Here are my reviews. Here are my listing. I'm going to take great care of your property. And this is how I screen the guest. Because the question that you're going to be faced with all the time is how do I know my place is in good hands? Oh, short-term rentals? I've heard of short-term rentals. I saw it on TV. No, thank you. And you're there to say, on the contrary, short-term rentals will keep your property maintained a hundred times better than the average long-term tenant. A hole in the wall from something incidental, we're going to fix it the next day because we need to clean for the next person. Cleaners are in here seven times a month at least, right? The water is just like the, I don't know, the sink is slow to fill up. We're going to bring a plumber in there within 24 hours rather than long-term tenants. So there's so much defending that you sometimes need to do that being able to also say that I'm really thorough with screening my guest. I care about who enters the property and here's actual tools that I use also offers a lot of benefit in helping you grow and expand without you worrying about who's in the properties. Ooh, I love that. So you just gave us a whole mastermind on how to speak with a landlord or, you know, a homeowner or a property manager when you're looking to stand up a few properties. So the guy was there. I spoke to them. I had to win contracts, right? I had to prove that I'm the responsible operator and that they should rent it out to me and that they will make their money and I will make my money. But I had to be professional about it. 
Awesome. Awesome. And guest screening is a big piece of it. And that will definitely be, you know, a tool in your tool chest to use if you show them exactly. that you have guest screening. And as far as I can see, auto host's guest screening is 10 times more robust than Airbnb's. So that will even give them a little bit more confidence as well. You know, are you able to see negative reviews from multiple platforms to potentially recognize someone who may be platform hopping? I don't think I understand that question, Annette. Do you understand it, Ella? I, I think I, I think I do. So, I mean, and, and all the, the short answer is no, and there's a reason for that. So I believe the question is, so for example, let's say somebody booked an Airbnb, had a couple of bad reviews, and then saw that, well, okay, I have bad reviews, so I can no longer book an Airbnb, let's book an Expedia. And then they got a bad review on Expedia and so on. So first of all, just, I mean, no, we don't check the multiple platforms to be sure if they have negative reviews, even on one of them, that's sufficient for you to, to potentially consider not hosting them. Um, I will say that the reviews on Airbnb is something that we find is more relevant for smaller operators. When you get started, you really care to find out about the person, their personality, their previous reviews. Once you get into a little bit of scale, reviews are dangerous because they can be misleading. So first of all, we as a tool, and we're there for technology and automation, we can see things like how many reviews a person has. But the existence of reviews doesn't mean they're all good. Um, the existence of a couple of good reviews could be fake reviews. So if anything, you could also get into very dangerous, misleading territory. Lack of reviews does not imply that a guest is not good. So, or lack of reviews could imply that those guests you're talking about that are platform hopping, they're less likely to platform hop and book again with you. They're more likely to open a new profile. So I think that the main thing you need to be concerned about is not are they hopping platforms and still booking my place, they're going to open a new fake profile or under their friend or their cousin or their girlfriend or somebody they just pay a hundred bucks to and open a new, a new account, which is why the reviews, they're great for some reassurance, but I wouldn't count on them solely, and which is why our tool does not objectively take them. So we take really objective data points and we're trying to even out the playing field. So whether it's a direct booking or Airbnb, Expedia, Booking.com, Verbo, Hotel Tonight, wherever it came from, our operators saying, great, now you're in the system. Here's our standard guest vetting for you to receive your check-in instructions and check in seamlessly. Awesome. Yes. So how long does guest screening take? That's a good question. How long does that take? Through AutoHost, I'm assuming, because when you're doing manually, that really depends and you might have a lot of back and forth with a guest. Um, we have a guest portal that the guest would go through. So it takes about, I mean, just a few minutes for the guest to go through this, go through the screens, agree to the rules, provide a list of guest names, upload their ID. So about, I don't know, two to five minutes, depending on how, how many validations you're running and how, uh, what the guest uh, needs to be providing. In terms of the screening that happens on the back end by Autovos, though, that's instant. So there's one exception to when we actually run uh, full back criminal background checks. Could take uh, anywhere between five to 10 minutes to get a resolve back. But generally speaking, once we analyze all the data, our algorithm actually runs to, like instantly. And so once the guest completes the portal, you know right away whether they're verified or flagged for manual review. Awesome. So that that's a really good question. So we're not waiting days and days, right? Once the guest fills out their their portion, because I know background checks, sometimes it takes days and days. So we're not waiting no. days and days, Ella? No, not at all. Okay, awesome. I am so excited. I hope you all are inspired. You feel kind of like equipped. You have some rules of thumbs, some red flags to avoid, some ideas to implement. And of course, a tool like AutoHost, smaller operator option is, tell it to us again, starter.autohost.ai. That's the way to sign onto the platform. And just in general, I'm happy to encourage everybody to follow us on LinkedIn. So no matter your size, 
we really like industry data and we like to release content and information. We're partnered with a lot of players in the space. We we really do aim to raise awareness of the trust and safety side. And it's important to understand that trust and safety is not just there for a check mark. It's there to protect your revenue. So kind of the longevity of your business is dependent on nothing screwing up early on. And so follow us on LinkedIn. There's definitely good content coming out. We we care about small operators and large ones. We want to see this industry grow and succeed. So by all means, for smaller ones, Starter is a great option to start so that it's less automation, but still due diligence. And then once you grow bigger, we'll be happy to help you get uh, set up and started. Awesome. Yes, guys, definitely take it for a spin. We do have a question. So do people, so I would say with auto host, do people generally run background checks, social security checks, or just ID check? So the average is ID, absolutely. So a vacuum check, um, meaning like a criminal proper background check, I mean, no fly list, sex offenders, criminal activity, convictions, things like that. I'm finding that those are mostly run either for longer term stays, so people can have some conditions set up on our platform, say, if it's 28 days or more, it's worth the extra cost and, you know, go ahead and run a background check. Those need to be, by the way, consensual. So the guest needs to know that they're having a background check run on them. And then the other scenarios where we do see background checks being run across the board is if uh, the operator is contractually obligated to. So there are some leases or, or contracts between developers or inventory providers to and between operators that just say, you know what, I want a background check run on every single person. And that's where you go ahead and run it. Um, I will argue that that's not an absolute necessity just because background check gives you a lot of information. A lot of it could be not relevant. So by all means, if somebody has a criminal background, there's any risk to your property, you could be running it and seeing what types of um, violations or convictions are relevant. Um, But to be fair, if somebody was caught drunk driving in 2016, I mean, they're not a lovely person for doing that, but it might be less relevant on whether you allow their accommodation. Having said that, if they were caught for, you know, theft or money laundering in 2021, that might be a very valid concern. So your consideration on how, how deep you want a check to be, but I will say that if somebody has something to hide, you're more likely to capture that by them refusing to provide their ID and having their picture taken on a selfie and their real credit card on file with the background check in that case might no longer be, not necessary, you're welcome to run them, but not an absolute must to complete the check. Oh, that's good. So you just gave us a couple of more red flags. So that hesitation, once you start having hesitation and running background checks and providing ID and selfie, that's already, you know, a huge red flag. You're like, okay, this guest is probably not who they're purporting to be. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you for joining us tonight. So we're going to wrap up. There's so much to cover, right? In the short-term rental business, even as smaller operators. So just hope you were inspired. Hope you got some ideas of some tools that are out there. You're not alone, right? Many of the questions that you have, other hosts have had those questions and have had those experiences. And so there are ways to de-risk or to mitigate risk. I so appreciate you all. Bye for now. Thank you guys for joining us here, Rachel. Thanks, everyone. Ella, thank you. Thank you so much. It was amazing to be here. I so appreciate you.